0: I am a blessed man. I have eleven grandchildren. And one of them is named Grace. Amazing Grace. She was singing that song a couple years ago. I think she was about four years old at the time. And she was wondering why there wasn't a song Amazing Emma. Or Amazing Samuel, her siblings. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We turn to Genesis chapter 28, and we see a wonderful example of amazing grace in the life of a man who, obviously, like we, did not deserve God's goodness. That was Jacob. He's on the run now. Esau is angry with him enough to kill him. And here's the dream that Jacob had on that journey Genesis 28. We're going to begin reading at verse uh, 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed." Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, and then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that You give me, I will surely give a tenth to You. Let's pray. Father, we, we stand amazed today that You would love us, that You would send Your Son, give the life of Your Son, For us, we who by nature and by choice sin against you. Lord, thank you for what you did in the life of Jacob, and thank you, Lord, for what you have done in the lives of many here this morning. And oh God, just give us again another glimpse of the amazing grace that You pour out upon us through Your Son, Jesus, for we pray in His name. Amen. Yesterday, I opened the hood of my car to change the spark plugs, and it looked beautiful. It had an engine cover on there, and I took that cover off and removed the first three plugs, which were right in front of me, and it took about ten minutes. And I thought, this could be nice. However... I have a V6 engine which is placed transversely and the back plugs were very, very difficult to get at. I had to remove the windshield wiper cowling, I had to remove the intake manifold, I had to remove the throttle body, I had to remove the PCV valve, I had to remove the air filter And by the time I got those spark plugs in, I looked at what that engine looked like, and it was a mess. There were parts scattered all over the place, and I thought, I have made a mess of this nice engine. Have you ever felt like you have made a mess of your life? Ever been in a position where you look at what you've done and you say, how could I have done this. How could I have made such a mess of this relationship or of this circumstance, of this situation? Jacob must have felt this way as we meet him in our text because he had stolen his brother Esau's birthright, bribing him for just a pot of stew He had deceived his father Isaac in order to get the blessing that Isaac had planned to give to Esau. And now he is literally running for his life. Esau was so angry with Jacob for what he had done, he was just waiting for dad to die so he could kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. Jacob had made a mess of his life. And he certainly wasn't in a position for God to come and bless him because what a mess he had made. But God met him there. And instead of rebuking him, instead of punishing him, God poured out upon Jacob His amazing grace. There's three ways in which we see that. Notice, first of all, that God showed Jacob the amazing grace of His providence. God's providence. Although Isaac tried to bless Esau instead of Jacob, he now accepts that Jacob is the chosen one, so he sends Jacob to Rebekah's home to find a wife. At his first stop on that journey, we find Jacob having a dream. Verse 11 says, He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of the place and put it under His head and laid down in that place. And I'm often wondered what must that have felt like to have a stone for a pillow? Certainly not like my pillow that you see on TV, huh? By the way, you can get one free. Do you want to know how much they are? hundred bucks, but you get one so 50 bucks. Anyhow, that's not an advertisement. Verse 12 says, He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now this ladder that is stretching from earth to heaven, this does not mean that we can climb our way into heaven. So let's just uh, Settle that once and for all. Nor in Scripture are we encouraged to climb Jacob's ladder. Okay? You know the song, We Are Climbing Jacob's Ladder? That's not really the point of this text. This ladder illustrates that there is a divine connection between heaven and earth, and that God is not some kind of an absentee landlord. God is involved in the affairs of this world. His angels are descending and ascending, showing that God is clearly involved in the affairs of this world. So Jacob is not alone. He doesn't have to make it happen as he had previously done. God is engaged in his life, He will guide him, and he will lead him. R. Kent Hughes says, God presided over the commerce of Jacob's life. God was directing everything. There was heavenly activity in this desolate place on Jacob's behalf. And it was time for Jacob to begin living in light of this fact. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you live as if God is presiding over your life? Do you live as though God is certainly involved in the affairs of your life? Or do you live as one man called as a practical atheist? Do you know what a practical atheist is? He defines it as one who believes there is a God but lives as if God does not exist. Know anybody like that? They believe there is a God, but they live as if He doesn't exist. A practical atheist lives as if everything depended on Him. He doesn't need to pray. He can make it happen. He can do it by himself. A practical atheist is often manipulative. He uses people to get what he wants. And he's willing to compromise if he thinks that the result will be good. Doesn't that sound like Jacob? He believed in God, but he was living as if God didn't exist because he figured he had to manipulate the circumstances to help God out somehow. A practical atheist. On the way home after church, a father noticed his son was crying. So the father asked him what was wrong, and the little boy said this. He said, The pastor said every child should be raised in a Christian home. But Dad, I want to stay with you and Mom. (laughs) Wow. Is that how we live? We, We go to church and we... You know, we we, we say we believe in Jesus and yet the way that we live somehow just doesn't connect. We live in worry. We live in guilt. We live in frustration. We think we got to make it happen. We can't trust God to lead and guide us. Jacob needed to learn that lesson. And God showed him the grace of His providence that God is involved in the affairs of his life. He didn't need to make it happen. God would lead him, and God would guide him. The second thing that God showed Jacob, not just the amazing grace of his providence, but the amazing grace of his promise. His promise. Everything that Jacob saw in this dream was an obvious surprise to him. This is seen in the, the 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 repeated use of the word, behold. Did you catch that when I read the text? Look at verse 12. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord. So the writer presents this as as a surprising encounter that Jacob had with the Lord. And it must have brought some fear into the heart of Jacob. Was God going to punish him for what he had done to his father and to his brother Esau? Was he going to pay the price now for his deception? Jacob may have been fearful of what God was going to say and what God was going to do, but notice how God met him with a wonderful promise. Verse 13, he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac... The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So the promise that was first given to Abraham and then to Isaac, is now given to Jacob. He was the chosen one, and it wasn't because of any good thing that he had done. He was a rascal. He was a challenge. He was a problem. This promise that was given to Jacob was not because of any good thing that he had done. That's what grace is, isn't it? Isn't that what grace is all about? It is God's unmerited favor given to we who deserve nothing but His judgments. Kent Hughes goes on to say, fellow believers, this is all grace. Jacob, the conniving believer who was outcast and alone due to his own sin, Who merited nothing from God was met by God in his misery with an unparalleled revelation of God's care and assurance for the future. Jacob was not seeking God, he was fleeing the consequences of his deception, he was not expecting grace. But grace was unleashed upon his soul, and with not even a word of reproach. This, or the vision and the voice of God, only bore assurances. Isn't this the way that God works with us too? By nature, we do not seek God. Because of our sin, we seek to go our own way, but God in His mercy and His grace is seeking for us. That's unmerited favor. That's grace. That God would seek you and I who are sinful through and through. and Reach us with His mercy and His grace. There are so many examples of that in Scripture, aren't there? Think of this little man, Zacchaeus, this man who had robbed many, this chief tax collector. When Jesus saw him in the tree, he named him by name and said, Zacchaeus, come down. I want to stay at your house today. Or we think of Saul of Tarsus. He's traveling on the road to Damascus on his way to gather Christians that he might persecute them. And Jesus meets him on that road. You think when Saul got up that day, he thought, today's the day I'm going to become a believer in Jesus? That's the furthest thing from his mind. But God met him. God transformed him with His amazing grace. And Paul the Apostle then, he was never, never ceased to be amazed of what God did in his life that day. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The amazing grace of God's providence. The amazing grace of God's promise. And then thirdly, the amazing grace of His presence. God's presence. The journey to Haran must have been a difficult one for Jacob. For the first time in his life, he was away from home. He was away from his family. And the circumstances that led to his departure were about as bad as they could be. (laughs) When you think of leaving home, would you like to leave under those circumstances? You just deceived your father and your brother wants to kill you? (laughs) I think you'd rather go to college with a little different circumstance than that. But that was Jacob. Here he was on his way. God made it clear to Jacob that he would be with him and that he would be all that Jacob needed. In verse 15, notice, Behold, God said, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In other words, Jacob, your future does not depend on you, Jacob. It depends on me. And so abandon your, your practical atheism and trust Me. I am going to be with you when you go, and I'm going to bring you back to this place. It is My presence in your life, Jacob, that will make the difference. But look at how this meeting with the Lord affected Jacob. Verse 16... It says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven." Jacob thought he was alone in this place, but the Lord was right there with him. And God would continue to be with him in the days to come. So Jacob didn't need to live as if everything depended on him. He didn't need to live as a deceiver and as a manipulator in order to get what he wanted in life. The Lord would be with him wherever he went and God would be faithful to do everything that he had promised to do. And isn't that a liberating way to live? What, a, what, what freedom to know that God will be with us, that God will guide us, that God will provide for us. What a wonderful way to live, what a wonderful way to face life, isn't it? God walks with us. Jesus said, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What more do we need? And God has promised to be with us. Jacob did not want to forget this experience. Verse 18, so he rose early in the morning and took the stone, his pillow that he had slept on, He set it up as a pillar and poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Bethel means house of God. And that's what that place had become to Jacob because that's where he met the Lord in a very personal way. (laughs) If you read through the text and you notice when God is speaking to Jacob, notice how many times God uses the word you. You, 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 your, 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 your. What a personal encounter this was with the Lord. And this is where the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac would become the God of Jacob. Look at verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on the journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be... Did you notice what he says? My God. My God. Not just the God of Abraham. Not just the God of Isaac. But this God will be my God. That is a personal thing, isn't it? A personal relationship where you can say that Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my God. Not just my mom and dad's God. When my parents were first married... Their first child died at birth. I would have had a sister who would be in her 70s now. She lived a half hour. Mom and Dad never saw her. The doctors took her away. She had spinal bifida. I remember my mother saying many times throughout her life, I never got to see her. I never got to see her. My father was not a Christian at the time. My grandfather was. And so when my dad went and talked to his father, my grandfather, he said, Look what your God has done to me. Very, very deliberately, your God. But At the age of 30, the God of my grandfather became the God of God. Of my father. It was no longer your God, Dad, but it's my God, my Savior. Many of you have grown up in a Christian home, and you can speak about the God of your father, the God of your mother, but can you say that this is your God too? You are not going to get into heaven on the coattails of your parents. You need that living relationship with Jesus like Jacob did. Not the God of Abraham alone or the God of Isaac, but my God. My God. The Scripture that was read this morning from John chapter 1 makes a very interesting allusion to what we've just looked at in Genesis. Nathaniel is brought to Jesus and Jesus miraculously shows to Nathanael who he is Nathanael said in verse 48 how do you know me and Jesus said to him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree I saw you I knew you were there and Nathaniel answered and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And then here's the allusion back to, to our text. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending, not on a ladder like with Jacob, but you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's Jesus. So Jesus is that connection between heaven and and earth. One man put it this way. He said, "Nathaniel would come to see that Jesus is the link between heaven and earth, the bond of union between God and man, the one who by means of His sacrifice reconciles God to man. So amazing grace... It's wrapped up in Jesus, right? It's wrapped up in Jesus. That's where grace is found. Because He took our sin to the cross. Because He suffered in our place. He, he took the punishment that you and I deserve. And throughout His ministry, Jesus made it very clear that He is that link between sinful man and a holy God, didn't He? John 10.9, He said, I am the door. If anyone enters in through Me, he shall be saved. John 14.6, we all know that verse. I am what? The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. The apostles understood that. Peter, remember Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus. God's providence, God's promise, and God's presence is all wrapped up in Jesus. It's fulfilled in Him. I can still picture my dad standing in front of the congregation quoting John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and still seeing him reach one hand and saying that God at the cross put one hand into the hand of sinful man and one hand into the hand of a holy God and reconciled us to God. It's all about Jesus, His grace. It wasn't about Jacob. He did not deserve anything that God did in his life. And neither do we. There isn't one of us here this morning that can say, I deserve that. That we got what we deserved, we'd be judged. But Jesus has come. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your grace is amazing. And we thank you that we can experience that grace today because you came to this earth, you died on the cross, you rose again for us, and you offer eternal life freely as a gift. Lord, if there's someone here today who's been like Jacob, running from you, living life as if you did not exist, saying that they believe in you, Lord Jesus, but living as if you did not exist. Oh God, would you meet such a person Here this morning, remind them of the sacrifice that you made for them, the price that you paid for them, and show them, O God, that Jesus is our only hope. Through Him, we see God's amazing grace of His providence, God's amazing grace of His promise, and God's amazing grace of His presence.